The scripture this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And I want to read the first 10 verses, but the area of concentration this morning will be on verse 10, as was announced in the bulletin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. For, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and inspired word. Just a, a brief review from the closing verses that we looked at last week in particular. Uh, Paul describes, these are primarily Gentiles there in Ephesus at that time, not many. Uh, there were also Jews there as well, but, but he is saying that you were dead in your trespasses and sins that you were under the wrath of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, has made you alive in Jesus Christ. What an amazing statement. And he goes on in 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Dear folks, I say to you this morning, if you are here today and you are, or you have been born again into a living hope through the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 10 is very important for you. For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do those good works that God has ordained for you to do in advance. Please understand that. It's so very, very important. I'm going to look at three areas today in this particular test. Believers are God's workmanship. Secondly, we are created anew in Jesus Christ. And thirdly, God has a purpose for us in terms of serving him, serving the church, and serving the nations. So first of all, believers are God's workmanship. 
In the original language, workmanship there can mean several things. It means a work of art. And some translate it as not only a work of art, but the person is a masterpiece. I don't know if anyone has ever said that to you, that you are a work of art if you are in Christ Jesus, that you are a masterpiece, as it were. If not, I want to say that, and more importantly, God wants to affirm your calling by, not, by saying to you today that you are a masterpiece. A number of years ago, my wife and I took a trip to Paris when we were serving a church in Ramstein, Lonston, Germany. One of the places that we went was to the Louvre or the Louvre. I'm not sure there's another name to it, but most people just refer to it as the Louvre. And so we're going through there, and sure enough, there's a large crowd at this one, one portrait, this one painting, and that painting happens to be the Mona Lisa. Well, we kind of elbowed our way up as other people were elbowing us, and we got a little bit closer, and it was a, a beautiful, well-done uh, portrait, painting. A little bit later, I'm walking down away from that, and I see this huge, huge painting of a horse, a huge horse, and a, and a man who's a cavalry on that horse, and he's, he's charging. And to be perfectly honest, I appreciated that more than I did Mona Lisa. I don't know what that says about me, but I really, really appreciated all the paintings there. We didn't see it all. We were only there a half day or so, and probably you could take a week going through the whole thing. But the thing that struck me and struck me as I was I've dealt with this text is this. There are great painters in history. Rembrandt, uh, Van Gogh, Michelangelo, and others. And their works and their paintings are absolutely wonderful to look at. And there's so many others. But one of the things that one thing that stood out to me is you can go to the Louvre or the Louvre or some other museum, or perhaps you would even go to Firenze, Italy, and see uh, King David in that, that, that statue. It's a huge statue of him. I mean, it must be almost half the size of this room, half the way up of this room. He, he's standing there. King David, the second king of Israel. All the things that King David did for the people of Israel. And to see him there as a, as a, in that sculpture is really rather something to see, to behold. But you look at the paintings, and there's one thing is true of each one of those, and also the sculpture of, of David. That sculpture cannot move. It stays right there in that museum in Italy. The Mona Lisa can't come down from the wall. They just hang there. Day in and day out, and people see them. And yes, it's rather interesting and somewhat exciting at times to think about some of the portraits and the paintings that are taking place. But there's a difference between the Mona Lisa and David and all the other paintings that hang on museum walls. The difference between them and us is this. We're children of God. We can talk. 
We can smile. We can feel. We can feel good and we can feel sometimes uh, things that happen to us or sickness that, that comes our way and we don't feel so good, but at least we have feelings. We can think with our mind. We can feel with our heart. So those paintings and those sculptures are really something to look at. At, look at. But dear folks, I want to say to you that you are made in the image of God in holiness and righteousness and knowledge to exercise dominion over creation. He has made you a masterpiece if you're a child of God. If you're not, you need to come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because apart from that, you're on the broad road that will lead to destruction. And I would say, and the scriptures would tell us, that is a place that no one wants to really go. It is a place of eternal fire, separation from the living God forever. I love, uh, well, I think I said it before, I love all the scriptures. <laughs> They're God's word. What's not to love? But in Psalm 139, this is really an important passage. In verses 12 through 16, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Your eyes saw my unformed body all the days that were ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knit us together in our mother's womb. He, he knows our frame. He knows our going out, our coming out, and our rising up, our lying down. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows everything about us. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere all at the same time. There is no place that we can go, whether high or low, that he is not there. He knows us. He made us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. You know, there are some people that, when they think of God the Father, they think of like a grandfather figure or something. Kind of up there in a rocking chair and and you just approach him and whatever you really want, perhaps he will give it to you. That's not the view of the God of the Bible. We're not the most active part of creation. God is the acting part of creation. He's the acting force behind all creation. In fact, as you read um, the first chapter in Hebrews, speaking about uh, Jesus Christ who came into the world, fully God and fully man. And there in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, He created all things by the word of His power. He holds all things together by His righteous right hand and His power and, the, and His speech. He is the exact radiance of the Father. He made propitiation for our sins. God is active. He's always been active. He said, let there be, and there was. He said, let me make man in my image, in holiness and righteousness, with knowledge. He said, it's not good for man to be alone, therefore I will create a woman for him out of his side. And he gave the marriage relationship. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, 
and the two shall become one. And out of that union, God is there knitting their first child together and knitting other, every other child that has come into the world, knitting them together, as it were, in the womb. Fearfully and wonderfully made. God is active in the beginning. He's always existed. It is God who acts everywhere. It is God who made the world and man. And it was God who pursued fallen humanity. It was God who called Abraham. It was God who created kings. It was God who called the prophets. It was God who gave us the law. It was God who in the fullness of time sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us that we might live, that we might be adopted into the family of God. Can you imagine? Brought into the family of God. Jesus Christ is not only our Lord and Savior, but he is our brother. He is our friend. And one day, when Jesus Christ comes back again, we will be with him forever. If you're a Christian, and I trust that all are here today, I don't know that, but if you are, you are a work of art in the sight of God. Mankind might not recognize that, but the almighty God does. And he could even say that you are a masterpiece. A masterpiece. So he not only made us, but he saved us, just as we were reading uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, in love, has made us alive in Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So God saves us by his holy will and according to his holy will. There are two things that I would want to say in light of that. As people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, I hope and trust that you understand that the Holy Spirit is in you. Sometimes we feel as if we have no power but dear folks, we are the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us. I don't know how to fully, I don't know that I fully understand that. If I, I'm pretty sure I don't. I have a finite mind, but we have an infinite God. And he says to us that your body is the temple of the living God. And that makes it very precious. Very precious. So what do we do with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit lives within us? What is it that the Holy Spirit does within us? Well, he teaches us for one thing. He teaches us the word. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. How are we trained? When we read the scriptures, 
The Holy Spirit is there. We're asking the Holy Spirit to teach us, and the Holy Spirit teaches us. He teaches us everything about life if we will read the scriptures. He teaches us about every sphere of life, the life of a family unit, the life of a church, the life of, of those who are working out in the workplace, and also how to be a good citizen in the nation in which we reside. The Word of God sent to us, given to us by the Holy Spirit, teaches us how to live and to live to the glory of God. We have the Holy Spirit who will teach us. We have the Holy Spirit who will guide us. We have the Holy Spirit who will comfort us in our afflictions. How many times in the world in which we lived, and I've been around for a while now, have we had some sort of affliction? Maybe it's someone who is sick or dying in our family. Other things may come our way. Maybe a loss of income, the loss of a job, whatever it may be. How do we and who do we go to to find comfort for those things that beset us in this world? We go to God. We go to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and comforts us in our time of affliction and need. He also convicts us of sin. Uh, I won't go into details about this one situation that I experienced some years ago. It seems rather minor to a lot of people if I tell it, but anyway, I did something that I soon recognized was not mine to do. And on the way home, it was toward the end of the day, on the way home, the Spirit of God came to me in the Spirit, not in an audible voice, I'm not saying that, but I believe he was working in my heart and my mind, and he said, Doug, that really wasn't for you. You're not to have that. And it was too late to go back. And I said, I'll go back in the morning. I want to get rid of this thing that was given to me. I don't want it. I could hardly sleep that night. I took it back the next day and gave it to this gentleman on a base. And I said, I know you wanted to help me out, but I was not supposed to have that. And all of a sudden, my conscience was cleared. The Holy Spirit came on a very minor thing. Most people wouldn't even think about it, but the Holy Spirit would not give me any rest until I did the right thing. And you know, I was rejoicing. Oh, Lord, the Holy Spirit is, is in me. The Holy Spirit is teaching me. The Holy Spirit is convicting me. We're the temple of the living God. He's with us. He goes everywhere that we go. He knows everything about us. He's given us the gifts of the Spirit to be used in the church. If you have the gift of teaching, teach. If you have the gift of leading, lead. If you have the gift of serving, serve. If you give the gift of generosity, give generally, generously to the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us the gifts. He's given us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, self-control is the last one. I think I left out one or two. But he's given us all of that. All of that. He's with us. I, I get kind of jazzed up about that when I think about it. Why would he inhabit this old sinner? only because 
I'm saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's also the fact that not only has he given us the Holy Spirit, but he's given us the Word of God. Uh, I believe it's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Those things that have been revealed are for you and your children and your children's children. Those things that are mysterious belong to God. Don't even try to find out what is mysterious. What is clear from the scriptures is that the, it doesn't have to be a highly educated person to read the scriptures. They just need to be able to read. But read the scriptures and God is speaking to you through the scriptures in terms of what kind of person you ought to be. What kind of God he is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's altogether perfect. He has all power. He is everywhere present all at the same time. He is ubiquitous. He is all of those things. And we get to know him by looking at scripture. We get to know him by looking at creation. We get to know him by the presence of the living God in the person of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. All of that has been revealed to us and we can learn, we can grow. He's given us his word. His word is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. If you want to know how to walk and where to go, go to the word. Don't let your fleshly desires use the parts of your body to go to a bad place. Don't let your legs take you to a place that's not honoring to the Lord. Don't let your eyes feast upon that which is not honoring to the Lord. Do not listen to things that are not edifying to you for the glory of God. Don't do those things. The Word of God tells us how to live to be a holy people because without holiness, the scripture says, we will not see God. The Word, I, I think too of, of the uh, of the Psalms. I think of Psalm 19. And sometimes there's a lot of debate about the law of God. I, I want to say the law of God is perfect. <laughs> it is absolutely perfect. And for somebody to say something contrary to the summary of the law of God is basically to call God a liar. The law of God summarized, the moral law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, is absolutely perfect. It tells us what we ought to do, and it tells us what we ought not to do. And I love in Psalm 19, it says, the law of God is like honey. It's sweeter than honey. I don't know. I, I like honey. I don't eat a lot of it, but I like it. I particularly like it on my toast bread. But it's sweeter than honey. It's more delicious than anything else. It's, the law of God is not only sweeter than honey in the honeycomb, but it is more desirable than all the gold in the world. You know, I, I look around and at one time prior to my conversion, I, I thought, well, it wouldn't be bad to be rich. 
but I'm a little bit like I reminded, I'm reminded of Job. He says, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going out of this world with nothing. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. But the thing that he says, I think it's in verse eight, in chapter 18 of Job, he says, but the one thing that I know, I'm not rich any longer. That, is taken, that has been taken away. Now the Lord restores some of that at the end of his life. But what he says there in chapter 18, that I know this, my Redeemer lives. Oh, you can't take your gold with you. You can't take your IRAs with you. You can't take any of those things that you think makes your life wealthy with you. Use them now for the glory of God. But you can't take that with you. All the gold in the world doesn't compare to knowing Jesus Christ and being a work of art and being not only a work of art but a masterpiece. I come to the last thing today, this morning. The last thing will be tonight. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, Church in Ephesus. God has a work for us to do. And uh, I don't know, I've been a pastor for a long time. Uh, and people, young people used to come and say, Pastor, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? Well, uh, I don't have a plan for you necessarily, but I believe God has a plan for you. But you got to dig into the scriptures. You got to you got to find out what is it that that really uh, energizes you. One something that you have passion for. Something that you have passion that you would do for the rest of your life. And so, when I think about what I'm supposed to do, what others are supposed to do in the kingdom of God, I think the, the example par excellence is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What, what did he do? And after all, what is the goal of Christianity? It's to be like Jesus Christ. It's not to be like some famous football player, American style, or football player in Germany. It's not to be like that. It's not to be some rich basketball player or, or football player. It's not to be a, a four-star general or anything like that. If God places you there, that's great. But look at Jesus. Jesus grew and, and matured, and not only did his Father in heaven recognize that, but earthly people understood that he, he was maturing and stuff. And later on, as you get to Matthew chapter 3, I believe it is, maybe 4, he presents himself to John the Baptist. Why does he do that? Well, he's a God-man. And to, do, and to fulfill all righteousness as a man, he needs to be baptized for all righteousness' sake as a man. And then, while that is happening, the Holy Spirit comes down to dwell in him and on him. And the Father in heaven says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit takes Jesus out to the desert after 40 days and 40 nights. Why is he going out there? He's going to confront 
and be tempted by the evil one who has the kingdom of this world. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven were in a battle royale at that point in time. There's still more battling to do, but he is tempted. Jesus is tempted three times. How did he avoid that temptation? He called upon his understanding and memory of the word of God. He was tempted three times. Temptations beyond anything that any of us could ever imagine. But each temptation, Jesus says, but it is written. How do you avoid temptation? You quote scripture. To quote scripture, you must hide God's word in your heart so that you can battle the evil one. When the evil one comes to you and tempts you, you can say, it is written. And turn away from that temptation by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And then Jesus goes and he, he starts proclaiming, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe. So what does that say to us? That Jesus is not the only one who speaks the gospel. He gives us a command. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says to his disciples, wait there in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you leave there and you go to the very ends of the earth declaring the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to articulate the gospel, you need to learn. You need to go to your pastor. You need to go to your elders and say, I really, I really want to speak because Jesus speaks. And I'm to be like Jesus. And so I want to know what the gospel is. I want to be able to share it. I want to see people's lives changed by the power of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can memorize scripture. You can speak the word of life to those who are dead, who are walking in death, walking that uh, will lead them to ultimately to hell. You can also look at the Beatitudes. That's one of the first things we find. And look at the Beatitudes because they tell us kind of the ethic, eth ethics that we should have as Christians. What, what ought to be, we do? What ought we to be like? We're to be salt. Salt is, uh, is very helpful in cooking and eating, but also salt is a preservative. In a sense, what Jesus is saying, we need to be a preservative for this society in which we live. We see it going down the drain. We see, decade, uh, uh, we see decadence everywhere. And, it's just horrible, but we know the truth, have a light of the truth, the word of God in us, and we need to be able to tell the truth and show the truth by our lives. We are to give generously. We are to pray fervently. He, he taught us how to pray. Uh, John's disciples have been taught how to pray, and they come to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, John's disciples are praying. Would you teach us to pray? And this Lord's Prayer is what he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God? We pray it and sometimes we don't even know what it is. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of Jesus Christ in the hearts and minds of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. But that's not all of it is. Oh, yes. In fact, in Romans chapter 14, the Apostle Paul tells us, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Sometimes I think 
in modern day Christianity, even in Presbyterian circles, we think, oh, where's the best place that we can eat? Where are we going to dine? What kind of drink are we going to have? Where are we going to go to enjoy all that? What are we going to see with our eyes? But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you want to be joyful, I mean, enjoy a good meal. I do. But the kingdom of God is more. The kingdom is doing the right thing in a wrong-headed world. The kingdom of God is experiencing the peace of God that passes all understanding when the world has no peace whatsoever. But we have peace with God. We have peace with, within ourselves because we know and love Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives within us. And we have peace with others because we're called to be peacemakers, not peace breakers. There are so many people in the visible church who are trying to destroy the church because they have a different agenda. But dear folks, we need to be peacemakers, not peace breakers. We need also to, to not worry. <laughs> worry. Worry uh, zaps us of our energies. But there in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus gives a command, it's not just a suggestion. It's a command. Don't worry. It's a violation of, of uh, the commandments. But Jesus says, you know, look at the birds of the air, flowers of the field. Look how God takes care of them. But, he goes on to say, but your responsibility it's not necessarily the flowers of the field or the birds of the air. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that we long for, food, shelter, clothing, they will be ours in Christ Jesus. But the first and primary responsibility is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And then I think... We need to love one another. We need to get away from using filthy language. We need to get away from immorality, either what we see on TV or in movies, or perhaps sometimes where our feet take us, that where it takes us where we ought not go. We need to get rid of immorality. I would say to husbands these days, and those who hope to be husbands one day that you do what Job I believe said Lord give me eyes only for my wife only for my wife give me those eyes I want to love her I want to cherish her and more importantly I want to honor you I want to all honor the God of glory the Lord of life the God of love who loved us and gave his son for us. And another thing that I would say, that we need to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. See, the ultimate design for you and me as children of God is Christ-likeness. We will fail to some extent in this world because there's a war going on. 
between the flesh and the spirit. <clears throat> but I am reminded, greater is he who is within us than he who is within the world. You have a Holy Spirit if you're a child of God. I have the Holy Spirit living, me, living in me as a child of God. Let's honor that temple. Let's honor the temple and honor our Lord and Savior. Let us pray together. Before I pray, I just would say, if there is anyone here that is not saved, doesn't know Christ, I would love to talk to you after the service. I'll be around as long as you want to be here. But I'll be here. I want you to know Jesus. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the word that you've given to us. To think that we're a work of art, Lord. That's not just vocabulary that is used by the world. But that is vocabulary that is directed toward the sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is within us. And Lord, we pray that as we have time, as we have money, as we have gifts and abilities that we find in the scriptures, that every last Christian in this church and elsewhere would see what God has provided for them and in the providence of God that they will give of themselves to promote and advance the kingdom of God and the glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head. O oh Lord, help us not to just come and take up time and space. There's so much more to enjoy. In our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.